Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. We're going to go ahead and go over to Tom Gimbel now. He's the founder and CEO of LaSalle Network, uh, and he this is a hiring firm. So he is going to be able to give us a fantastic outlook of those jobs numbers that we got yesterday and, of course, the numbers that we got today. Tom, great to speak with you, and thanks so much for chatting with us on this Friday. Talk me through the totality of the data here and what it tells you about the jobs market. Is, is it the bad news that we should be listening to or the good news? I think an economist can spin it any way they want to. However, yeah. anytime an economy adds over 200,000 jobs, I'd say thank you. Uh, let's move on to the next month. I mean, well, there's nothing here that we should be depressed about. I think what the what the what the layman needs to realize is there's really two messages. One is is the economy good for me today? And number two is what are economists and the Fed looking at for interest rates, which is a longer ball game at a higher macro level. And what this says right now is that because of uh, 209,000 versus roughly a quarter million, which is what the economists were estimating, is that the Fed won't raise interest rates again that people think it's slowing down, which is actually an even better thing for the economy. Right. So we missed the number by a smidge. We still had over 200,000 jobs. The Fed won't raise interest rate. The party continues. Everybody's happy. But let's paint it as really sad and depressing right now. Well, there was a time when if I could fog a mirror, I could get a job. Is that still the case? It's not too far off from that, to be quite frank. Uh, we're, we're looking at a situation where companies are still hiring. Obviously, we added over 200,000 jobs. And, and the difference is, is they're not hiring in bulk. So you might not be able to get a job at any company you want to, as you could have in 2021. However, there are more than enough jobs for people who are looking. Okay, but when you look at the ADP data specifically, leisure was the biggest growth area. But leisure, I mean, you can tell me this, Tom, it feels like a little bit of a concerning area because it can those jobs can go away so fast. And we obviously saw that yeah, in March of 2020. No, no, I, I disagree because it's seasonality. So compare June over June and, and look at the summer and we know those are coming. 
So that was built into the estimate that the economists had that, that they've been doing this for forever. And when they predict 240,000 or 250,000, they're figuring in for the summer hospitality jobs too. This is a good report. Anything other is chicken little, as I say every month on this show. But right. is it potentially a final gasp for air before the economy starts to slow? No, I, I, I really don't think so because what's going to end up, my guess is, I haven't, what's the market doing right now? Well, oh, with the stock market, I'm going to call it mixed. S&P yeah, it's, it's a little unchanged. Pretty much unchanged. Yeah. yeah, it's unchanged, right? So so what that message sends, if it were a bad number, the market would be down. It's a, it's a, it's a number that says we're still adding jobs, and once the Fed doesn't raise rates at the next go-around, this thing is going to shoot, the market's going to shoot up even more. We added over 200,000 jobs. It's funny how quickly we forget the spring of 2020. It's funny how quickly we forget 2008 and 2009. Those were bad. This is good. We got to keep things in perspective. Tom, do uh, who has the leverage? Is that uh, mix starting to change? Is it still the employee yeah. like, hey, you can give me a raise or else I'm going to go find another job? No, or is we, it the we, employer? We, we, We've gotten away from that. The, 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 the leverage is back on the employer side, mm. and I think that's what the change is that we're seeing. And if there's a little bit of, uh, not desperation in the air, but fear around, it's people bringing employee, companies bringing employees back to the office, and the employees can't quit and go get another job working fully remote anymore because a lot of companies are bringing people back to the office. So my, my feeling is, a year from now, we're not going to be talking, oh, post-pandemic and who's working in the office and who's working not. Almost every company will be three days a week, if not four days mm -hmm. a week a year from now. And where are you seeing the most demand for workers? It's always going to be in technology. Still. Right now, because we have, well, we have this intersection right now where it's, it's technology's growing so fast and we're having so, now we have AI, which is what dot-com was 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago, you put dot-com in your company's name and you'd go public and you'd be worth a billion dollars. Just wait until every company has it being LaSalle Network AI. Everything is going to be AI, 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 and we're going to see this be a self-fulfilling prophecy that it's going to balloon a new market and it's going to be the driver of jobs through AI and cybersecurity. What, what's, uh, go over average pay for me in the mm -hmm. different industries that, that you uh, are familiar with. Well, I think average pay is a really interesting uh, issue. And the reason is, is because it figures in salaried and hourly. And we have hourlies that have been uh, that have rose over the past three years due to number one, COVID pandemic pay, number two, social unrest, number three, municipalities wanting to uh, with more liberal um, aldermen, so to speak, and, and mayors and officials running it. So we've seen the, the municipal minimum wage rate rise that used to be $10 an hour. In some cities, it's $15 to $17 an hour. And we've seen hourly factory workers and hourly warehouse workers go from $10 to $12 an hour to $18 to $20 to $25 an hour. So you have that aspect of the business, which is still healthy, um, but we're, we'll see how that gets affected. It's usually the first area. The interesting thing is on the white collar jobs where people were getting counter offers from their employer when they leave, for huge amounts to get them to stay, we're not seeing that as much anymore. We're seeing yeah. companies toe the line and say, we're not gonna screw up our whole salary structure because the economy's good, not unbelievable. But we're seeing also a decline, to your point, in weekly hours worked. Is that 
a key indicator to you of something that's to come? And is that something that you're seeing in your day to day? No, I think you see a decline in weekly hours work because of the increase in the hospitality sector. And so when you've got people that are hiring in those phases, it sometimes leverages down the amount of hours worked by each employee. And so the thing that makes it good is that more people are getting jobs in that space. The thing that makes it bad is some people who were working overtime and doing things like that, it's not leveraged into the average hours. So you mm -hmm. see a natural decline in that way. You also see more people taking time off in the summer, which lowers the average mm -hmm. hours worked. I don't think that's yeah. as big a deal as a lot of economists do. Can you give me an update on the gig economy? Where does where does that stand? Ooh, okay. Yeah, I, I think the gig economy is was a gig. <laughs> nice. I think that it was it was something that we're seeing that people in in good times it's awesome. Uh, I don't need my boss. I can get a job whenever I want. So I'll go Uber. I'll do DoorDash. Uh, I'll, I'll be a dog walker, I'll do right. all these things. And that's why it didn't show into the jobs numbers. Mm. Now we see those people saying, hey, wait a second. I can't keep up with the cost of living doing that. I, I need to get um, benefits. I wanna have a 401k. People start yeah. to settle in as Gen Z becomes <laughs> uh, in their 30s, right? So you have this cyclical nature, the same yeah. thing that happened with millennials, yeah. and they don't wanna be doing gig economy work. Really quickly, 30 seconds here, Tom. If Jay Powell calls you and says, what do I need to know about the jobs market that the economists aren't telling me? What are you saying? I tell him the same thing I told him this morning when we were talking. No, I'm kidding. Um, I would tell him, keep things flat for the next cycle. Don't do a thing. All right. Well, we'll see uh, if the market agrees with you there, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us this morning to break down that jobs data for us. That was Tom Gimbel. He is CEO at LaSalle Network. That's a hiring firm. So, uh, John, he's got a great outlook on what's really going on on the ground when it comes to hiring and wages there. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, giving you even more specialized support than ever before, like access to the trade desk, our team of passionate traders ready to tackle anything from the most complex trading questions to a simple strategy gut check. Need assistance? No problem. Get 24-7 professional answers and live help and access support by phone, email, and in-platform chat. That's how Schwab is here for you, to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Team. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. We were easing some of those declines earlier today, uh, and now it's looking like we're back in the red for the S&P NASDAQ, uh, relatively unchanged. So we're going to talk about what to make of the day's trade with Ben Emmons. He is the principal senior portfolio manager and head of fixed income and macro at New Edge Wealth. Uh, got a laundry list of, uh, of previous work in the finance industry that we're going to talk to him about. Ben, thanks for being in studio with us. Help me make sense of 
of what's going on in markets today? How are they digesting the data here? Still digesting medicine, but I think it's about, you know, the ADP number took a lot of the gas out of the markets, right? Because that was a real surprise. So this headline from non-farm payables comes in a little softer. You get a sort of muted reaction, but the reaction is the same as yesterday. Higher yields, a little bit lower stocks, because the market's trying to digest that. This is a job market that doesn't really cool off. If anything, it just really underlines that the Fed has to pull forward here. It has to probably hike maybe more than two times because of the resiliency of the economy. You know, there's too much strength underneath. And, uh, you know, this report also didn't show any significant weakness in any area. So I think markets are looking at, like, we're going to have to start factoring in a a higher terminal rate that may be beyond what the Fed is factoring it in for the end of the year. You know, uh, a little history. One of the former Fed chairman, Paul Volcker, used to carry in his breast pocket uh, a readout of the latest labor agreements, uh, wage agreements with the unions, presumably. Uh, How sticky are wages right now? Because that seems to be the key for all of us who follow interest rates. Yeah, the the, the uh, average, average hourly earnings at 4.4% year on year. That was another, I think, sign of that. If you have labor being this strong, your consistent job gains, you're going to get higher wages. And every wage tracker from the Atlanta Fed shows an upward momentum. Uh, the ones that stand out to me are construction and leisure. That's where I think the biggest wage gains are happening. Maybe less of a unionized area than, than if you think about UPS as an example, right, of what's happening there. Um, but to that point of Volcker, if you're getting like consistent gains of labor and wages pick up, yeah, there is some level of, of let's say, prices drive to higher wages and vice versa. So it is happening in the economy, not the same as in the 70s, but it's definitely a trend of higher wages. Well, I'll go back to my question. Is, is that sticky? Is that going to remain? Yeah. It looks like it's sticky because if you think of the uh, core PCE extra, uh, core services, PCEX housing, you plot that against those wage trackers from the Atlanta Fed, it's exactly the same trend, almost identical, just on top of each other. That looks like very sticky to me. How sticky then, okay, I've been dying to ask this question, John, you're gonna love this. (laughs) On a scale of peanut butter to super glue, (laughs) how sticky? Oh, not not super glue. I don't. That's an interesting okay. comparison. That probably is not because it, it it is a competitive labor market. So I do think that if you get layoffs and you get like you know some adjustment of wages in certain areas, um, it's just more stickier in terms of the demand for labor is is sticky. That's what drives up wages. I think that's the issue. The, the Commerce Department put out a report about a month ago, yeah. highlighting all the labor shortages across the economy. There's a lot of it still there. That's keeps those wages like peanut butter. Okay, well, you, you, well, there you go. You do a great job, though, Ben, of looking at this from a global perspective. And when you look at the inflation picture in the UK, it makes me glad that I'm in the US, even though inflation here is uh, pretty bleak for me when I'm being a consumer outside of the desk here. Talk to me about to what extent the inflation picture in the UK and the credit tightening we're seeing there could impact what the Fed has to do here in the States. Yeah, there's a bit of that that's the idea of butterfly effect, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the um, UK, I think, is more risk of that wage price spiral. Partly, it is mm. a more unionized economy, but it's also, it's showing the signs of it. And, um, you know, the UK obviously is really suffering from the supply shock in, in, uh, in Europe, the food supply shock. 
that was compounded by the Brexit, you know, that's now really showing up in their data. Sure. Uh, and there, you know, the, the Bank of England didn't go so far as to fat it with, with, with a number of rate hikes really quickly after one another, like large rate hikes. And this is why the market there is pricing in 6.5% of, of a bank rate. That's 100 basis points more than, than the, where the Fed is projected at. And I think the, the, the food price inflation is, is where, where they're struggling. They can't really cool that off because of the Brexit effect. That's right. really the, the key issue. Does the market now believe the Fed? I, I, they do, uh, John. I mean, it has actually been that way for a while. Sounds odd, but that transitory discussion that where the Fed apparently lost so much credibility, you know, the bond market early on has said like, well, Fed, you start raising rates, you're going to get your inflation back to 2% over time. That's what the inflation-linked bond market has been very consistent in. Um, and that's, I think, where we currently are today. It hasn't really changed, uh, even though you're getting these good, you know, payroll numbers and you're right. seeing continuing uh, strength in the, in the economy. Um, there's another side of it that the energy markets have really cooled off from last year and commodity markets too, so that helps. I mean, that's partly that calculation in these inflation expectations. But I do think that the market has been at the side of the Fed saying, you're going to succeed in this mission. You're going to bring that inflation rate down. It may take a number of years, but you're going to get it. All right, the obligatory questions. July, that <laughs> it? 25 basis points again. What happens after that? Is it a higher rate regime six months from now? You got... Uh, 45 seconds. Yeah, so July, that's now, of course, confirmed by this data with CPI next week, so that probably is going to fully cement it to 100% probability. Um, you know, it will remain data dependent. That's how the market is trying to price it. So the September and November meetings are all still in play, but the probabilities do show that you likely have another rate hike, so the Fed will match its, its median forecast plus the probability of a 6% rate in November has notched up a little bit to about 10%. So Let's keep an eye on that, because that is not impossible to see a 6% rate. Yeah, and it seems like uh, if you're listening to Jay Powell, he's just going to continue to look at the totality of the data when deciding yes. what he is going to do next. Uh, ben Emmons, thank you so much for joining us, as always. Great to see you in Thanks, studio ben. with yeah, us as well. That was Ben Emmons, uh, Principal Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of Fixed Income at New Edge Wealth, joining to talk about those jobs numbers and, of course, what the Fed is going to do next, our favorite question here at Bloomberg. You're listening to The Tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets. We Days at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I know you're all loving our Fed speak analysis here, but we've got a great guest in to talk with us about the jobs data and how it's going to impact Fed moves moving forward. We've got Julia Pollack here. Uh, she is a chief economist at ZipRecruiter, joining us on Zoom to talk through some of these jobs numbers. Uh, Julia, thank you so much for coming on uh, this this morning with us. Talk to me about what your take is on the current jobs market. I mean, if we're listening to Goolsby, it sounds like uh, it's strong but cooling. Would you agree with that description? Absolutely. Strong, solid, robust, but there are clear signs of cooling in today's jobs report. Uh, not just the slowest job growth number since December 2020, but also a rise in the number of people working part-time for economic reasons. Those are people who've had their hours cut or who can't find full-time work but want to be working full-time. You guys, ZipRecruiter must generate its own proprietary data. What does that tell you 
if anything. Absolutely. Uh, so that has shown a larger decline in online job postings than even in BLS reported jobs data, uh, but uh, a rebound in June. So uh, we also saw a pretty strong June, uh, but, but even clearer signs that the labor market is cooling down and that the Fed's interest rate hikes are starting to bite, uh, that they are reducing private investment and causing companies, even those that would like to be hiring more, uh, to be a bit more cautious uh, and, and you know, concerned. Uh, what about wages? Uh, what, what does your data show? So wage growth in job postings has also slowed. Uh, in 2022, the share of job titles that saw average wage increases over the year uh, was three times higher than the share that saw declines. This time around, we're actually seeing uh, more job titles show lower average posted wages in job postings than gains. Yeah, it, it's so important to watch, and our, our Bloomberg Economics team uh, puts it really well that they they still anticipate a recession coming in the second half of 2023. So anytime now, and they say that uh, you start to see those cracks in the labor market uh, about two to three quarters after a recession officially begins. So Julia, I wonder if when you're looking at the data, does it feel to you like this is just the beginning of the tidal wave of recessionary impacts on the jobs market, or is it something? less intense than that. Well, I think it's something less intense than that. I think we're now at a place where the labor market is at a sort of steady, sustainable pace. We could keep this up for months and months and months. Uh, employment levels are still well below their pre-pandemic trend. And so there's still a lot of catch-up hiring that could take place in the coming months. Industries that were hardest hit in the recession are sort of finally playing catch-up, like the government, not an industry, but you know what I mean, a uh, sector that, that was far behind. Uh, so I think there are lots of reasons to be bullish on this labor market still. Um, and then we also just, you know, had a almost 15% return in the stock market year to date, and uh, a rebound in consumer confidence. All of those things could bode well for job growth in the future. There are huge risks, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I don't think uh, we necessarily are in a, in a bad place. Uh, I put this question to just about every guest we had today. I'll put it to you. Uh, who's in the driver's seat? Did the employers have the leverage or uh, the employees? It very much depends on the industry you're talking about. Uh, Goods-related industries like retail, transportation, and warehousing, uh, workers there have seen a large decline in their leverage. And that's because consumers are shifting their spending back from goods to services. Tech is still a glaring weak spot in this economy with far fewer quits than before the pandemic and more layoffs than before the pandemic. Can I talk to you a little bit about your new hire survey uh, that you sure. include in your note here? Um, I, I I love talking about employees ghosting their employers. Do you know about this, John? There's, uh, I do it all the time. There's an increase, I'm sure you do, increase in employees uh, ghosting potential employers after getting job offers. Julia, what do you make of that and how uh, widespread is this starting to get? So in this survey of, of 2,000 recently hired Americans, I mean, there's still plenty of sign that workers are confident and that they are uh, they have a lot of leverage. Uh, so much so that they don't need to behave well necessarily. Uh, they they are 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Um, they're still getting pretty big wage increases. They're still getting uh, attractive offers and they're still finding jobs very quickly. And the other thing that, that they're seeing is that companies have made uh, huge improvements in their recruiting and hiring processes since the pandemic. They have made those far more mobile friendly. They've also uh, adopted more automated tools. That's the likely explanation for the increase uh, in the share of workers who are getting very quick responses to their applications. Huh. I think many companies yeah. have automated that system and, and tell people right away whether they're likely to get a job. Uh, real quick, can they still work from home or is, is that changing? Remotely. Work from home has stabilized at around 28% of all worked days in America, up from 5% before the pandemic. There are industries where you are seeing a bit of a pullback now, but on the whole, uh, it's still very, very steady. Yeah, and really quickly, I just want to mention, because we have to leave it there, job seekers uh, look like in your survey, they're becoming more pessimistic across the board about current labor market conditions and the medium term economic outlook, uh, which is certainly something that I feel uh, myself and amongst my friends here. Uh, Julia Pollack, thank you so much for joining us. That was a great conversation. You're pessimistic. Uh, oh, my God, of course I am. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, giving you even more specialized support than ever before. Like access to the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders ready to tackle anything from the most complex trading questions to a simple strategy gut check. Need assistance? No problem. Get 24-7 professional answers and live help and access support by phone, email, and in-platform chat. That's how Schwab is here for you, to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to The Team. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. We are going to get back to some of that jobs data from today. And on the line, we've got a really fantastic voice on this. We've got Jeffrey Cleveland here to discuss uh, the jobs mar numbers and also what we're seeing in terms of moves from the uh, bond market off of that news as well. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk about what we're seeing here in the market. I mean, when you look at this June jobs report, it feels like some good news this morning if you're the Fed, bad news yesterday when it came to that eye-popping ADP number. Talk to me about where you think our economy sits when you're looking at the totality of that jobs data. Well, I think the context matters, you know, when, when you look at each um, report that comes out every month. And um, if you, I talk to a lot of economic bears. They're my favorite uh, species of uh, market participants. <laughs> and, you know, they were telling me last month, hey, you have to look at the household survey. It was negative. You have to look at hours worked. You know, it had ticked down. And, you know, so lo and behold, we, we had, I think, a decent non-farm payroll number, 209,000. We had the household survey component of that bouncing back. So that was up 273,000. Hours worked ticked up. And then average hourly earnings, uh, another 0.4 month-to-month print. So I think you have to look at that full context, and it's it's a pretty solid report in my view. 
Uh, it doesn't tell us, uh, you know, maybe the job growth is slowing a bit, but nothing close to a recession. And I, I, I even hesitate to call it slowing. I mean, we're still adding over 200,000 jobs in the latest number. The That three-month average of non-farm payroll, still 240, 250K. It's really solid. Uh, we only need like 100,000 jobs per month just to keep the unemployment rate where it is. So if you're getting over 200,000, it, it's, it's pretty good. All right. So what does it tell us about the stickiness of inflation? Well, I think if you're a policymaker, you're going to look at two things here. You're going to look at that 3.6% unemployment rate, and you're going to conclude that the risks are still uh, toward inflation pressure. Um, that's uh, an unemployment rate that's very low. So we have very tight labor markets. Um, uh, I think you heard Powell last week. He said the goal for the Fed was to get uh, the the labor market in better supply demand balance and a 3.6% unemployment rate. Um, it's really tight conditions. And then the second thing you'd look at, I think, would be average hourly earnings. Again, 0.4% month to month. So I've been hearing from a lot of the bears, they, oh, job growth is going to roll over and also wage growth is going to roll over any second now. And that's just not happening. It's not It's not playing out here. So I think this, this keeps the Fed on track uh, to hike. Uh, we think they will hike in July at the July meeting. And we think they're on an every other meeting hiking pace right now. So that would imply mm. skipping September and hiking again in November. So we get to 550 yeah. uh, by year end on Fed funds. What's so interesting to me is that the data and the Fed moves and the market moves are all over the place, but also the vibes of us regular folks out in the world. Uh, we just talked with an economist from ZipRecruiter who talked to us about how the majority of job seekers are feeling this pinch of market conditions and they feel that they are should take the first job that they're offered because they're so concerned with the economy. Uh, from where you sit, Jeffrey, does that square with what's actually going to happen in the economy and what do you make of the feeling of anxiety with american workers given that we continue to get these great jobs numbers well just talking to friends and family we're being constantly told that the recession is going to start imminently right it's going to be next yeah. week next month we've been hearing that uh for a better part of a year now really since last june so if that is what the the average person is hearing i can understand a little bit of consternation the data, though, the macro data doesn't really bear that out. I mean, in terms of labor demand, still very, very high. Job openings hanging out around 10 million. Um, so we're, we're still seeing pretty good uh, labor demand. Now, it's down from the peak where we had extreme amount of labor demand, but it's still high relative to other cycles. So I still think it's a pretty good time um, to be in the market looking for a job. I think we also saw that with the quits data uh, tick back up yeah. you know, for May. Yeah, we saw that. that was the Payton and Regal uh, chart of the week. If anyone's interested in checking that out, we just compared quits. You know, this cycle are still well above what we saw at any point, really, in mm. the 2010s. So I still think it's a better environment now. And that's good news for, for someone who's looking for a job or is in the labor market. It's a better environment than it was for much of the 2010s. So that's good. I don't want to get too geeky, but there was an economist, Rudy Dornbush. Uh, among other things, he, he said that when things turn, they turn pretty quickly. Do you get a sense of that? Yeah, we, we always say like we, the unemployment rate is a good example of this. It, it falls like a feather and it rises like a rocket. So you can hmm. you can see um, it, looking at the unemployment rate chart, that exact uh, story. So that's why we're always on guard looking at things um, just for the early hints and the early signs. 
you know, initial claims for unemployment, that weekly data that comes out tends to be a pretty good, um, you know, sign uh, indicator of that. Um, it ticked up recently, but it's been hanging out, I would say, for the last three or four months, around 240,000 in the weekly claims data. So uh, it's moved up. It, it's indicative of a slower job growth, but it's it's nothing worrisome, I don't, I don't think. I also think payrolls, uh, it gets a lot of uh, pushback and people say, oh, it's a lagging indicator. But in real time, we're getting data for, for last month, for June. Uh, we're getting it released here, you know, seven days into the month. It's a pretty good real-time indicator for me from a bond market economist perspective. Always have uh, relied on that. And as I started the segment, 244,000, the three-month moving average of non-par payroll growth, it's a pretty good indicator of where we are. It's, it's slowed down, so growth has slowed from a year ago, six months ago, but still very solid job growth. So okay. you're a bond market. He's yeah. a bond market economist, so that means you are a pessimist, does it not? I yeah, I'm supposed well to be, said, yeah, John. I'm supposed to be out here telling well you said. that, you know, inflation's rolling over, it's time to buy bonds, you know, extend duration, but uh, I would like to think that I'm, I'm objective. I'm just looking at the data here. Yeah. We're very far from the Fed's target on inflation. Yeah. The unemployment rate is very low, and I think their bias from policymakers is going to be to keep hiking. So that's going to keep putting pressure on front-end yields. So your two, you know, yesterday we did see two-year yields creep above 5%, which yeah. makes sense to me we're back below this morning I, I i think we'll move back above at some point uh the fed's got two more rate hikes uh, that that's the gotta face the facts here so that's what bond bond market participants have to face those facts don't fight the fed okay well since you brought it up i gotta talk to you about the yield curve because we are seeing a little bit of a moderation when it comes to the twos tens inversion are you thinking that the bond market is seeing something that the fed isn't when it comes to where this economy is going I go talk to our traders on the trading floor. They would tell you, yes, uh, the bond market, bond bond investors are smart. <laughs> right. And maybe they are. But uh, you think about the yield curve. I've always I've always loved looking at the yield curve, but it can have long lags to when it actually signals a, a downturn. So oh. I remember this very well. If you go back to, the, say, the 2006 era, uh, if you're looking at the yield curve, you started to get concerned. Uh, but the recession didn't begin until end of 07. So people people tend to go early if they just focus on the yield curve. So hmm. that, that's the thing. It could be long lags. Not, it's not to ignore the yield curve. you got to look at it. There's information there, but it could be long lags. I also think there's some unique features this time. I mean, inflation is higher than it has been at any time really in the last 40 years. Yeah. So uh, in typical business cycles, you haven't really had to think about, the well, what's going on in the front end? Why is the front end so high? It's be, the front end is high in yield because the Fed is trying to stamp out uh, inflation. Um, I think the bond market has a bit different forecast for inflation than we do. The bond market has been perpetually expecting inflation to come down much more quickly. And so maybe that's the reason why five-year yields and 10-year yields have been uh, a bit lower. So as you as you pointed out, in the last day or so, uh, the long end even moved up. It's been and crazy, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a recognition of the fact that, hey, um, Things are, you know, the economy's in better shape. We're not getting that recession everyone advertised. Yeah. Inflation is a bit more sticky. Uh, the Fed is going to be higher and maybe higher for longer. And that does tend to have some impact yeah. on, on five and 10 and, year yields. And maybe a soft landing, you think? Yeah. You know, the, uh, this morning, one of my colleagues pinged me. He said, yo, this is Goldilocks. This is this is a soft landing report. We, we've got a very low unemployment. We've got a little bit of a slowdown in job growth. Um, so it's possible. We wrote a piece at the beginning of the year. You know, we said um, we said it, the case for a soft landing. It, it may not be the base case, but it something everyone should think about. So we're, we're, we're leaning towards that. Um, 
what what in this I don't think was really a soft landing was probably the average hourly earnings because that's still coming in a little bit hot. Uh, but remember, if that- the unemployment rate stays low as job openings come down, that's your soft landing. That's your you think about the 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 beverage curve kind of relationship. Um, you get you get an easing of labor demand, and the unemployment rate doesn't rise. That's your soft landing. So it's it's possible with a three point six unemployment rate, we're on we're on track for it. I, I wouldn't rule it out. Now, keep in mind, Madison, the Goldilocks story that had three bears in it. Oh, <laughs> well, where are you? Because it, we got like twenty seconds left. Because I'm interested in anecdotal. You know, what's the local economy there? I'm looking out the window. Where are you? This is downtown LA. I don't know if you can see in the background. You can uh, probably see uh, the Hollywood sign. So we yes. are. It's where Paid in Regal is located. That actually, if you want to be bearish, if you want to be bearish, uh, yeah. the story that I would tell is I would say, hey, look at the un- the plot on your Bloomberg terminal. Yeah. The California un- unemployment rate. It bottomed oh, out yeah. about yeah. a year ago at 3.9. Yeah. It's at 4.5 right now. Yeah. So it's risen 0.6 percentage points. Um, yeah. While you know the unemployment rate nationwide is low. Got to run. And Right. California's a big economy, so that's how that's the, the world's bearish fourth story. largest. There, Jeffrey Cleveland, director and chief economist at Pagan Regal. Thank you so much. You're listening to the tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11:30. This is very exciting stuff. Me and my friends are all really pumped. I know that you'll be you'll be joining us at the theater, John, for the new Barbie movie. Uh, one of the reasons we're so pumped is because of the amount of money getting poured into branding for the film. So we're going to talk about all of this. Uh, it's today's big take story, and we've got Kelly Gilblom on the line, our Bloomberg News editor out in L.A. to discuss it with us. Kelly, thanks for uh, being patient with us as we talk is it, about is this our a, love of Barbie. Is this a kid movie or an adult movie? <laughs> I mean, for older people, not adult Yeah, thank you uh, for your interest in Barbie. Um, (laughs) It's actually not really a kid movie. It's rated PG-13. If you've seen the trailer, you can see that it has a lot of sexual innuendo. Oh, so it's not creepy if Charlie goes to see it by himself. John. It's it's for adults. (laughs) It's okay. for adults. Well, and, and it was very expensive to make. And so it's it's a big bet on those adults coming in to buy tickets. Right, Kelly? Yeah, it was very expensive to make. It was $100 million. Uh, Mattel, which owns the Barbie brand, didn't actually pay for the budget. It licensed the brand to Warner Brothers, which covered the budget. But Mattel is definitely taking a big bet for itself on the overall perception of the brand. Um, if you you know recall hearing about Barbie dolls at any point in your life, uh, they can be pretty controversial. Uh, so so they're really hoping that people are, are more endeared to them after this movie comes out yeah well and also it's it's interesting because they have a tough challenge with the barbie kind of stereotype that they have to sort of rebrand as like a new age feminist character uh what can you tell us kelly about the uh, likelihood of warner brothers being able to do that it seems like from the response so far they've 
mostly managed to pull it off. It's gone, everything about it has gone viral. People are so excited. The box office tracking figures keep going higher and higher and higher. Um, and it's one of the rare movies uh, that's actually targeted toward women. You know, we, we calculated only like 6% of movies with this type of budget are for women. Um, so uh, I, I do think it will it will make a big impact and, and could possibly pull off this uh, reputational uh, move that they're trying to make. The story is great. I mean, it's the uh, the history of this is fascinating. Well, yeah. to the extent that it can be fascinating yeah. to somebody like me. But there's actually there, Barbie and Ken are actually named for the founders of Mattel. Their kids, right? That's right. Yeah, Ruth Handler was the inventor of Barbie and one of the founders of Mattel. It's longtime uh, chief executive officer in control of operations. In control of operations there, and yeah, she saw a uh, a German doll that was actually for adults. Oh, just uh, let's let's be clear. This is a German sex doll on which Barbie <laughs> is based, right? Do I have yeah, that correct? Yeah, I mean. It- it was for bachelor parties. Uh, people, you know, sent it around as a gag gift, and, and she thought it okay. would be great for, uh, you know, if she kind of remade it, uh, more targeted for kids, it uh, would be great for her daughter, Barbara, and then a few years later, Ken rolled out. Yeah, and... <laughs> Ken, her brother, by the way. Right. 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 Very he rolled you, out. You always bring us the, the fun facts here, uh, John. I also feel like Kelly, uh, Greta Gerwig as the director here is an important choice uh, because she has kind of a history of making these inclusive films that center female characters as the main subject. Yeah, I think she's one of the preeminent female you know, coming of age genre directors, writers. Uh, she's come to prominence in recent years, especially with Little Women, her remake, uh, and with Lady Bird, both Oscar nominated uh, films. I think one actually won an Oscar. So uh, that was a big, a big get uh, for them. And that was, it was actually Margot Robbie, who's playing Barbie, uh, who was able to make that connection mm. and, and recommended her as the screenwriter. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. That's really really cool now is barbie what does this do for barbie this film if it's a flop does mattel get crushed is barbie even relevant anymore I think that's the big question for Mattel is is how relevant is Barbie going to be? It really went through a crisis, the whole company did, because Barbie fell out of step with society. They remade the doll in 2016 and made it more inclusive uh, with different body types and that sort of thing. So this is trying to showcase that work, uh, but it doesn't really, I mean, analysts aren't really seeing a big toy sale bump in 2023. It could be more long term, and I think the real value from Mattel would come if they can turn it into a broader franchise like a Marvel type of franchise you know where you have a Ken movie spinoff and a skipper TV series and a you know roller coaster and that sort of thing I was traumatized by Barbie my sisters had it and they used to take the legs and they'd hit me with it so I had these like two little bruises where Barbie's breasts hit me in the you know, it's just like I'm sorry to hear that, John. Yeah, that Hopefully, tough. you can re. You, you, can go, you can go up. watch this movie and get a little bit. Has of anybody closure. seen it yet, or is it you're waiting for reviews and all that stuff? It's it's coming out in July, right, Kelly? Later later yeah, this month, couple weeks. That's right. Some people yeah. have seen it. They're all critics. Uh, their review should start coming on the 13th, and then its world premiere is on Sunday. But it's released wide on the on July 21st. <laughs> 
Thank you, Kelly. For those um, listening on radio, not seeing us, my hand is physically out in front of John to kind of control the commentary here when it comes to Barbie. I thought you were going to hit me with your Barbie. All right. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Sorry, things are getting a little crazy as we wrap up our show, but it's an incredible story. It's today's Big Take. You can find it on Bloomberg.com or on the terminal wherever you get your Bloomberg news. It's also the Big Take podcast, which you can download wherever you get your podcast as well. It's incredibly well-researched. They go through everything uh, when it comes to Mattel and the Barbie movie. Highly recommend giving it a read or a listen over the weekend. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.